0: I should, I'm all good, I'm all good, never knew I could, I'm all good, I'm all good. Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the Phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a Phoenix Tale or a Phoenix Moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own Phoenix tale or your own Phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another Phoenix. Today's guest is Natalie Wilson, a classically trained opera singer and voice teacher in New York City. After all the years spent studying and the many years spent auditioning, she came to the painful realization that perhaps her dream was not the life she was meant to live. She discusses the emotional journey of letting go of one dream and finding a way to create another. Please welcome Uh Natalie Uh Wilson. Welcome, Natalie, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question. And the question is Has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life?
1: Quite a few the first big one that really made me realize that my life might be completely different from anything I'd envisioned was when I decided to uh, leave my opera career. And that was something I had always imagined that I would do for the rest of my life. I had aspired to that for, you know, 20 plus years and kind of got hit over the head one day with, well, this is not the path that is giving me joy and isn't taking me where I want to be. And so I made the very difficult decision to leave that career behind. And then shortly thereafter, I also got divorced from a 17-year-long relationship and completely like reinvented my life in the next few years after that. So it was um, a rather large turning point in my
0: mid-30s. So can we go back to your opera career? So can you give us a little background? Where did you train and where were you performing? I did my master's degree at University of
1: Colorado Boulder, Although I consider my real training to have been in New York with two amazing teachers I had the privilege to work with here, Carol Castell and then uh, Randy Michelson, a lot of the Northern California opera companies, Opera San Jose, Berkeley Opera, these places, and then wanted to take a step up in the career and actually be able to make a full-time living at it because none of those opera companies paid like living wages. Moved to New York, was doing the audition circuit, and things just weren't weren't cracking for me. Um, I wasn't getting the the big breaks to make it to the uh, the big time. And after slogging at that for a good number of years is when I finally decided to stop pursuing it.
0: So what little I know about opera, um, I know that for male opera singers, their voice sort of comes into full bloom in their 30s. Is it the same for women? Definitely. It does depend on sort of the type of voice
1: that you have. There are voices that have sort of different weights and and sizes to them, which are completely nothing to do with body size or or weight. And usually like the larger the voice, the la- the later it comes into full maturity. So I was definitely a, a, a later blooming voice. Uh, one of the challenges in the opera world with that is that all of the young artist programs, which are the gateway to getting into like Houston has one, San Francisco has one, the Met has one. These young artist programs are the gateway to getting the big jobs uh, later in life, they have cutoffs of like 32. Well, I didn't figure out what my voice was doing till 34. (laughs) so It was kind of like, well, okay, great. Now you sound awesome. And now it's too late for you to do any of these young artist programs. So that was one of the the challenges that I ran into. And as a soapbox,
0: I used to get on a lot. Um, (laughs) I've had a number of friends who are either actors or performers. And, you know, in the beginning of their career, there's a lot of waiting tables or working in a law firm or any kind of side gig, I mean, actually a, a job that paid that would enable them to support their art. So did you also go through an experience like that where you always had to have work on the side in order to support your artistic career? I got married fairly young
1: the first time. Um, I was 25 and uh, right out of grad school, I had someone with a full-time income to help pay for the rent and everything. So I wasn't fully self-supporting, which enabled me to do a lot more than if I had been on my own. I did still always work though. So, and I I did a lot of uh, teaching in California and that's always kind of been my, always looked at as my like backup career is like, teaching. I have a music ed degree. I have a vocal pedagogy degree. I have um, those degrees that I always got kind of like just in case. And then when I moved to New York, it wasn't easy to get a job as a teacher here because there are thousands upon thousands of incredibly talented (laughs) singers here who are also applying for all those jobs. And they're like, you're from California. Who the hell are you? I don't know. Um, So I actually was a dog walker and a like cat sitter like with an agency for the first couple years I lived here. And that paid great. Um, I'm kidding. And then I got a like a part-time office job. And then eventually I when I went through my big transition of leaving the career and getting divorced, that was when I decided I was going to really put the time into becoming a full-time teacher and being able to make my living that way. And it it took me about a year, which actually I was pretty impressed that I was able to do it in about a year to go to becoming fully self-employed in about a year as a as a voice teacher here.
0: So let's go back to that moment where you made, as you described, that difficult decision of leaving a career. And I think for artists, it's not just leaving of a career, is it, right? They're so much more imbued with the career, let's say. So can you kind of take us through the emotional process of what that was like? Because for me, I would imagine it's a bit like divorce, right?
1: Yeah, I think it, that may have been the harder of the two things <laughs> in some ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, the moment when I, it it kind of hit me was I was in Italy, I was doing an opera program in Pesaro, which uh, there's a Rossini festival there, which is was always, I thought, my specialty, Rossini. I was a coloratura mezzo, all of those Rosina and Barbara of Seville and like Chalorantola and all those things were like, that was my, that was what I did. And I was working with a coach there who was a close friend of my teacher. And so I respected her incredibly highly. And we worked on an ARIA one day and she was like, I just don't feel like you have an instinct for what this music's supposed to be. We got to be very close. She was not being harsh or mean. She was being honest. (laughs) that That was her specialty. And she was Italian. It was she like just was born into it. And I, I was really feeling like that summer, that opportunity in that festival was like, that was kind of my last shot. I thought this is going to be the thing. Like, if I'm going to make it, this is going to be the thing that makes it happen for me finally. This is 2007. So I went into a practice room and I started to try to sing opera. And I was just like, all right, what do I have in my bones? What do I know that this, no one would ever question if I know this style? And it was musical theater. That was what I actually had grown up falling in love with, always dreamed I would be on Broadway. But when I went to college, I didn't think I could belt. And I was like, well, there's no room for a legit mezzo in musical theater. So I guess I'm going to study opera. And I'd been raised in classical music. But I realized that I think maybe I made the wrong choice. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have gone for the thing I thought I was more likely to be successful at and really gone for the thing that was you know, in my bones and in my heart of hearts of hearts. like. Every time I did a recital, I would always end with a couple of musical theater numbers at the end and people like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But, you know, can't rewrite the past. I think it just kind of hit me that like, all right, I think (laughs) maybe this is not what I want to be doing. And I had already been feeling for a few years like that the gigs I was getting in New York, there's kind of either the Met or there are these tiny little companies with zero budget. And I just was like, I'm just not enjoying this process anymore. And I was working with a career coach. I came back from that trip and she looked at me and she said, you have to stop. It's just for three weeks, but you have to stop. You've been putting every ounce of every fiber of your being into this career for the last 15 years. And you're miserable. You're clearly miserable. And I actually let myself stop. I was like, I was okay. three weeks. I'm not going to sing for three weeks.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that. I was
1: just going to ask, like, what did the stop look like? I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to try to, like, get an audition. I'm not going to apply for anything. I'm not going to, like, send my resume off anywhere. I'm not going to make a demo recording. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything for three weeks. And I would wake up in the morning and I would be like, what do I want to do today? I could do anything. I had to work still. But like, (laughs) if I wasn't, you know, if I had free time, like, I don't know, I could go take a salsa dancing class or like go to the museum. I guess people, this is what people do who don't have this overarching, like, I must spend every minute of every day trying to make this thing happen. Which I think most people would describe as passion, right? And the passion is what drives you. But then we came to realize there are real downsides to, to that whole passion thing. <laughs> like, right, right? It definitely comes with some, uh, some baggage. So it was that realizing that like, oh, there's a world, there is life, actually, if I'm not doing this thing.
0: Was there any grief attached to that reality? Oh my lord! <laughs> yeah, I used to say at the time that I felt oh, sorry, like I was, I'm not meaning. Yeah. I'm not laughing at your grief. <laughs> yes, I was no, just no, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah, I felt like I was saying the time. I felt like I was walking around with my arms cut off. I did not know who I was. Like I had this nickname and this group of friends. I was. They just all called me Diva. It was like every ounce of my identity was tied up in me being an opera singer. So it was. It was really, really, really painful and.
0: Yeah, I was super lost for a while. I mean, can you tell us, was there a moment where I would imagine the, again, it's passion that drives artists, right? And that's what makes it separate from a career, like being a lawyer, whatever. And I think writers kind of fall in between the two, I think, in some ways. So was there a moment during this process where you thought to yourself, this is a mistake that I should go back because I don't know how to live without it in my life. I tend to be very much a once a
1: decision's made, I've made it kind of person. What did end up happening was after about three months, I met a woman, Pat, who we both we were like at a little music party kind of thing where people were just kind of getting up like kind of a salon. where People were getting up and singing and she was there playing the piano and everyone was doing classical music and then she sat down at the piano and played a show tune. We were both people who are sort of like recovering classical musicians. We ended up deciding to like be a little duo and like play at parties or something, like get, you know, make a little money on the side. I wasn't thinking of it as like a huge career thing, but just kind of like, yeah, little whatever. But then we were both have gigantic ambition brats. So very quickly, like we started, like <laughs> we booked a cabaret show. We had to like, we booked the club before we'd written a show and we only had two months to do it. We're like, we're going to make a show. <laughs> <laughs> we thought our first cabaret show. And so then this like new beast was born we're suddenly like, I'm going to be a cabaret star because that's a thing. So I guess long story short, the ambition brat reared its head and it attached to a new passion and a new career. Um, which was more involved around r- actually writing shows. So we started off writing things that I w- that we were both performing, and then we started writing things. And I also was writing things on my own, just like plays, like for other people to do. So it all of that same energy and that same passion then attached itself to that new ambition. So I guess yeah, I replaced it rather than going back to the old to the old thing.
0: So when this for with the amb- ambition, Brad, I love the way you describe that. uh, <laughs> took over again and you found yourself, uh, what you just described is astounding to me. You're like doing cabaret shows. I'm writing and I'm writing plays. And um, nothing like someone like you to make a writer feel completely inadequate. (laughs) So given that, when did you finally realize that what you needed to control, I mean, was in a sense that ambition, brat.
1: It's really only been in the last couple of years. I kind of hit a big wall and went into a pretty, pretty deep depression the summer before the pandemic. It's kind of the only way I can keep track of time these days. <laughs> um, so I guess that would be 2019. There was a big project um, that I had co-written with with that, with that my partner Kat. Had had a bunch of things happening and we'd had some producers that were working on turning it into a TV show and there's some very unpleasant things came out about that. And basically we had to abandon that um, collaboration and I was so lost and I was like I want to move upstate and just raise chickens like I don't even know what I want to do with my life and I went into therapy I'd done it for a while and I I found a therapist who actually one of her specialties is working with artists because she's a, a former artist herself and or she's still an artist she was wonderful for me and kind of got to a place between that and a daily meditation practice of like not living my life constantly thinking about what's the big thing that's going to come next. What's the thing that's all my life? I will be happy when first it was an opera singer. You know, I'm, I'm an internationally famous opera singer. And then I'll be happy when I've got a show on Broadway or you know, I'll be happy when I've got a TV contract. I'll be happy when, well, you know, fill in the blank. And it's like, I, this might be the life that I have as I'm a, you know, I make my living as a teacher. I teach up and coming Broadway people. I'm on faculty at Circle in the Square Theater School, which I love. I have a wonderful husband. I have now three cats. I don't know how I'm, what's going to happen when we get old, but my daily life is actually pretty good. And I ride a motorcycle, and that's really cool. And I love to cook, and that's really cool. And maybe that's enough.
0: Yeah. I, I love how you describe that uh, you are constantly yearning for the future, that you attached personal happiness. And I think in some ways for people, for those of us who are creative, attaching some of our identity to that success, right? Like, if, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Like for writers, it's like you're you're not a writer until you get published, right? I mean, oh, it, totally, it, yes. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you're a writer, but we're not a writer until you're fully published. How did you turn that off? Or I mean, are you still in the process of trying to be at peace with The way your life is, and I know you described it, but I would love for you to kind of articulate on an emotional level where you are in that process, because it's life. It's going to occur throughout the life. I mean, we can't turn off those internal voices and the urge to create.
1: I do feel like I have turned a very significant corner. Like I actually had to really think about when an an opportunity came as a producer who's interested in in revisiting that big musical project. I really had to think about it. And I decided that all of the time and energy and investment that I had put into it, that it was worth, since there was someone who was actually, you know, looking to step up to help make it happen. So it wasn't up to me to like do all of the slog on my own. I'll see this through with as as far as this producer is is able to help us take it and we'll see, um, but without any expectation. And I think that's the real, the real difference. Well, I shouldn't say only credit the therapist because like, I guess I did the work, but like her guidance and learning to just be in the present, you know, and not casting forward is that I think I guess that's kind of what I remind myself of. And, and so now I almost struggle sometimes to be like, OK, how much planning can I do without getting too emotionally attached to it? Because that's where the emotional like toll would come for me was getting attached to like future thoughts. And I also had chronic anxiety disorder for my whole life until my late 30s. So which is also completely a future casting thing. Right. So those things are like it feels a little toxic for me to actually let myself think too much about like future planning, um, but also turning 50 in a couple of weeks and like the retirement funds like creeps in my head. How's that going to work? There is definitely like a, a balancing act that I do not feel like I have uh, found yet. Um, I may have gone a little bit on the other end of the spectrum in terms of just only living for today. So I guess that's where the work I feel like is still for me is like allowing myself to, to think about future things that I might want to work towards without putting too much attachment to them. Because right now I'm just kind of like, I'm just not going to think about the future at all.
0: And and given your passion and drive, that makes complete sense, right? If I'm not going to do the thing I want to do, then I'm not going to do anything at all, right? Yeah, I'll
1: just like, when am I going to go on a motorcycle trip? Like, that's what I'll plan. That's what I'll think about for the future, right?
0: (laughs) For artists, I guess the threshold is when you can make a living doing art that you love, right? And when you think about it, opera is becoming somewhat more obscure in our culture. And for writers, it's the same thing, right? There's a sense that people are reading less and less. So therefore, any amount of money that you can make as a professional writer is no longer a reality of being able to live off that, really, right? Maybe there are 10 people in the world who can do that. Did you ever have those thoughts that, well, that's just the reality of what I'm passionate about, but the world can't support that reality. And so therefore, I should just continue with my passion. As I say, writers continue to write, even though they may not ever get published again. Did you ever have that moment of understanding that it's not just your talent, but, you know, there are greater forces beyond you in some ways? That was actually part of how I
1: came to peace with with stopping to pursue the actual, like, I'm going to be famous part. I was part of this organization called Opera on Tap, which is if you don't, if you have any interest in opera at all, I highly recommend you check out Opera on Tap. And it, they have chapters now all across the whole country. And people are going to drink beer and we're just going to like sing arias and like stop making opera seem like it's just this thing that only like fancy rich people can afford and you can come hear opera in the back of a bar. And so I joined up with them and they've got a huge educational arm. It's really, really wonderful what they've done. And I was so I was still performing with them for, for a good while, just for fun. It wasn't like a paying thing. And I remember sitting at a fundraiser that they were doing for Hurricane Sandy. There were a lot of people on the bill and they actually had some musicians, not just opera singers, but some other musicians performing as well. And I was sitting in this room at the Parkside Lounge. This is a little dive bar in Lower East Side and uh, not exactly fancy. And I was listening to the talent and these people who were just every single one of them could have been on a stage where people were paying a lot of money to see them perform. And I just like this wave kind of came over me of like, wow, I'm in some really amazing company. Like there are so many people here who deserve to have careers, who don't have careers, paying careers. And uh, so that helped kind of give me some peace that it didn't mean that I didn't matter and I was worthless and I wasn't actually talented and it was all a farce the whole time and I never should have tried. Right. <laughs> of course was a lot of the doubts that I was having, it's like, I don't even want to do it if I'm not making money. Like, it's sort of like the only thing that matters is if I get recognition and that recognition comes with a paycheck like that to me. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it like that's something I've only been able to let go of in the last couple of years. It's tough.
0: Right. I was just going to ask, how hard was that? Well, maybe the only
1: reason I was able to do it was because the alternative of holding on to that belief was just so painful, I couldn't take it anymore because it just meant that I was kind of worthless as a human being.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And facing constant, uh, like constant
1: rejection and failure, right? Absolutely. Realizing that I have worth as a human being, even if I'm not like famous or getting a paycheck from some, you know, a TV network or something.
0: You said it took about a year for you to pivot, right, to go through the grieving process of letting go of your dreams, really, that's what they are, right? And your passion to constantly reach your dreams to landing and then finding a whole career path that you described, I think, in the very beginning of the podcast, which again, sounded incredibly exhaustive, (laughs) slightly overwhelming. So can you tell us how you made that pivot? And more importantly, what were some of the emotional landmines that say that you stepped on during the process?
1: The teaching, I guess, has been present in my. I mean, I've been teaching for over twenty-five years, um, off and on, mostly on. Part of the pivot was actually embracing, like, oh, I've been making my living as a teacher for all these years. Maybe I should stop thinking of that as my backup career. It's like, oh, maybe that is, maybe that is actually my career. Duh, and embracing that and. Actually, like I invested for the first time in, in too long. Like I took a, a several week seminar, in, like a voice science seminar this uh, December. My vocal pedagogy degree was in the 1990s. It was a while ago. I need, I, I need to invest in my teaching career. Like there is more knowledge that I can then use to impart to my students. And it's been so great. So I guess embracing and not just sort of feeling like, oh, my teaching career is this thing that I have to do because I haven't made it at the other but actually, like, no, this is the thing that I do has ma- allowed me to feel way more joy in my teaching uh, and way more satisfaction from it. And I don't resent it at all anymore. And I used to. <laughs>
0: and you said you'd been teaching for 25 years. So how long did it take you to come to that realization? I mean, obviously, it was after 24 you gave years.
1: Up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> obviously. What's 25 minus one? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it was after you gave up, you know, uh, trying to become a professional opera singer. And then was it during that year that you talked about where you had to pivot? Was that part of that process of embracing your teaching career as the career? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I wish I could remember like a particular lightning bolt that hit me at one moment. I think sort of the general process of recognizing like, what I'm grateful for in my life and what I do have already in my life instead of always just the future casting is the thing that has always been a real negative for me. Retrospectively looking back and being like, oh, like you've actually done some cool things <laughs> and like you've affected a lot of people's lives. And I mean, one small, which maybe isn't small thing, but like I've always felt like kind of the financial failure in my family. And when my dad actually said something, he's like, what you do is so important. And he actually recognized the fact that like, you don't get financially compensated like the way you should. What you do really does matter. And like actually having someone else recognize that my financial, my lack of financial security is not because I like made a bad choice or because I'm irresponsible. Like I'm in a career where it's just not an option. I guess getting some validation from my family that they didn't look at me as a failure because of my career choices really
0: helped to like soothe some wounds
1: <laughs> for me <laughs> and some inadequacy feelings,
0: you know. Do you look back with any amount of regret or you're very certain that you made all the right decisions? <laughs> oh,
1: you know, it's funny because I feel like I would answer a no to the regrets, but I would not say I feel like I've made all the right decisions. I'm able to somehow hold both of those things in my mind. Fortunately for me, I don't know why, if it's just some way my brain is wired, regret is not an emotion that I connect with very strongly. Every once in a while, I wonder, "Hmm, what might, if I had done X, Y, or Z, I wonder where I might be now, but it's not with that pang of like, oh God, if only I could change that. It's more of a curiosity almost of like a choose your own adventure of like, what if I'd gone this way and I got to read chapters seven, eight, and nine instead of 10, 11, 12? Like what would have, you know, what would have that have been like? So I think that's kind of a saving grace that I can't, I wish I had a formula for, but fortunately I don't regret isn't something that weighs too heavily on me.
0: So the last question I always ask people is for them to identify a piece of music, song, whatever, that resonates with them. I'm going to ask something of you first. You're going to tell us what piece of music it is. And then can you sing a bit of it? Oh, my goodness.
1: Okay, let's see if I can come up with that. Um, So the piece that comes to mind right away is uh, Moments in the Woods from Into the Woods by Mr. Sondheim, who left us this year. So that's appropriate also.
0: And can you tell us why that song? Yeah, the this, the lyrics
1: that I was just like looking up to make sure I didn't like quote them incorrectly. Um, uh, I think kind of sums up a little bit of my and I didn't even know this at the time, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I was part of me knew that I, this was a good way to think about life. Um, so she had the, in the show the baker's wife has just had a romp with a prince in the woods, which is not something she ever would have thought she would have done. Uh, <laughs> And so she's questioning, like, what was that? That's literally the first three lines of the song. What was that? Like, what did I just do? But then she comes to, there's a couple of lyrics that have always really stuck with me. And one line is, and I'll try it. I don't know this is the right key, but. Just a moment, one peculiar passing moment. Must it all be either less or more, either plain or grand? Is it always or is it never? And that's what woods are for, for those moments in the woods. And then the last lyric, last stanza is, uh, let the moment go. Don't forget it for a moment, though. Just remembering you've had an and when you're back to or makes the or mean more than it did before. Now I understand. And it's time to leave the woods. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And now I'm going to cry.
0: I know, I, you, you nearly brought me to tears. I don't know what it is this week. I've had a few few interviews where people have brought me to tears. Uh, how can people find you? I'm, and I'm sure people are gonna to wanna to reach out to you.
1: Nataliewilson.com. Fortunately, I got my domain name long ago. So uh, that's my website and that'll take you to, you can contact me by email. I am on Instagram and uh, Facebook as playwright Nat if you're a social media
0: type. And then are you performing anywhere? No, no, don't really do
1: that these days. (laughs) So my students hear me sing, but that's about it.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this, Natalie. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's been so much fun. I know that my audience is going to love, love, love this episode and hearing your sort of moments of epiphany. Thanks, I hope so. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy music is by ryan pruitt
1: it's like a dream so let me never wake up i was so hung up on myself just like a stick in the mud a little time a little patience when i got tired of waiting then i found that gem within me sticking out of the mud and they gonna ask me why i do it i'm gonna say this because we gonna be the best on earth just like we be at in Pass behind me like a book bag hanging down a coat rack focused on the future not that coulda shoulda would i
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.